chapter 11. John chapter 11, another remarkable passage is before us. We finished up chapter 10, of course, Jesus' identification of himself as the good shepherd, what the good shepherd does for his sheep. Uh, we left off with Jesus making some amazing uh, comments about himself concerning his deity, concerning his essence that he, that he has uh, with the Father. As we were going over that, of course, we remember that when Jesus said, I and the Father, we are one. He was meaning one in essence, one in substance, the very thing that makes God who he is, the Son has in the fullest measure. As the Apostle Paul would say, that the fullness of deity dwells in him. At this, of course, the Jews, they take up stones to stone him. They try to kill him once again. Jesus responds very boldly, very courageously by quoting from the Old Testament as his defense. And they try to seize him thereafter. He eludes their grasp and we read in verse 40. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there. Many came to him. We're saying while John performed no sign yet everything John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. So Jesus has left Jerusalem. He's went back to the place where John was first baptizing, the place where John had identified him as, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is where Jesus is at. And in our passage here, we have this amazing account. It is a familiar account. It is... In this chapter, of course, this entire chapter should be very familiar to us because it has, of course, the, the death of Jesus' friend, Lazarus. It has the raising of Lazarus, bringing him back to life. This chapter, indeed, uh, also contains the climax of Jesus' miracles, showing his divine power. Aside from his resurrection, this will be Jesus' last recorded miracle uh, before the cross. The circumstances surrounding this miracle are very striking. Jesus is going to receive word that his friend Lazarus is very sick. The fact that the sisters would send word to Jesus uh, concerning uh, their brother Lazarus shows their great concern with him. This is not just a sickness that he's being treated for that eventually he will get better. The fear on their part uh, implied by what they're doing is they fear that he will die. One of their greatest fears is getting ready to occur. So they send word to Jesus. And in this instance, Jesus doesn't do as he did before. And, and instead of speaking a word as Jesus did with the healing of uh, the centurion's servant or the Syrophoenician's daughter, or, or the official in Capernaum's son. He spoke a word. He healed them from afar. He didn't have to be there. He didn't have to lay hands on them. He didn't have to touch them. All he had to do was speak. And it happened. They were healed. But Jesus doesn't do that here. 
He doesn't speak a word. He doesn't offer to go immediately. In fact, what ends up happening is he hears of it and he waits two more days before he ever goes. Now, we would look at that and try to understand what is it that is happening here? Why would Jesus do that? Because, and our minds go that way because we immediately think to ourselves that when, if you love someone and, and as God loves his children and all of this, that when, when help is, is asked for or, or sought out, that, that God should immediately come to our aid, come to our defense, come to give help. But that isn't the way that this happens here, which really goes against to uh, much of our way of thinking. But what does occur is one of great faith because their faith is going to grow from this. This whole instance is going to be one that uh, is going to produce such great adoration and devotion to Christ and I pray for us that this is indeed a passage that will lift up your countenance. That will lift your spirit up to the Lord. To understand that though the Lord tarry, though he waits before coming to your aid or coming to your defense, that this is not meaning that our Lord has abandoned you, that our Lord is punishing you, that our Lord doesn't care about your situation. That is quite the opposite. This is uh, one that should strengthen the hearts of God's people. Because oftentimes when we, when we pray and we seek the Lord, there's often a time in which there is a period of waiting. There is a period of, of trying your faith. Through this ordeal... Mary, her sister Martha, Lazarus himself, they learned of the greatness of Christ Jesus. They learned of the power of the Savior. The promise of resurrection is sure, as he demonstrates to them. Understand, dear friends, that death is not final. That there is a greater hope hereafter. That God has purpose in everything. Even in times of sadness and grief. It is indeed for the growing of our faith. It is to manifest his glory. As it was here. The outcome of this pain and suffering was the glory of God. It was magnified in this ordeal. It ends with this precious act of worship that was rendered by Mary. It ends with a greater trust in the Lord and his promises. It resulted in a greater longing to be with Christ. So I pray that as we work our way through this passage that your faith will grow. Your knowledge of God will grow. Your trust in him during your times of waiting will grow. He will not and has not abandoned you. Not in the least. Though he tarry in granting you relief from your heartaches and your suffering, do not let this one fact escape 
your notice that he loves you still with an unfathomable love. And he has a great concern for you that we can't even put our minds around. Because you are his. So let your, your, your trials and let your pain, let your suffering result not in bitterness, not in anger, but in a greater longing to be with Christ. Let's look at this passage together here in John chapter 11. Our verses will be 1 through 6 if you would stand for the reading of God's word. This is the inerrant, inspired, authoritative, infallible word of the living God. And let us hear the words of the living God. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You provide us exactly what we need in our time of need. Father, I pray and I ask that you would move mightily within our midst, moving within our hearts, granting us this understanding that you do not abandon your people, but that you truly love your people, that you do what is best that you were only good in everything and that you will provide, you will help, you will come to our aid, you will grant relief at your appointed time. Oh, Father, let this passage produce in us a greater longing to be with Christ, a greater longing to be comforted by him in his immediate presence. Lift up our countenance towards you this day and may Christ be magnified within our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so we're given some information by the Apostle John of who this family is. We haven't been introduced to them yet. The other Gospels uh, tell us about Mary and Martha and Lazarus we read of them in, in Luke chapter 10 uh, that they were invited into their, uh, Je they invited Jesus into their house and they served him and he taught there. Uh, there's, there's a number of other things that are mentioned. But John gives us this description that when he's in Bethany, which is about a mile and a half away from Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. This is where Bethany's at. Jesus is beyond the Jordan where John was first baptizing. Perhaps the sisters have, had kept track of where he was to know exactly that he had, he had left Jerusalem. He, <clears throat> the religious leaders were trying to kill him there. He goes to the place beyond the Jordan. They know where to find him. They send word there. Lazarus has been sick. 
Perhaps they've tried everything else. They've tried the physicians. The physicians have come in. They've tried to do all that they could, but it's, the, the outcome is just not looking good. So the very thing that they do then, in their greatest time of need, they're no doubt fearful. And if you have had a loved one who has been sick with, with, with a, a, some type of a ailment, disease, whatever, if you've had family members with cancer, there's always a great fear there of what is going to be the outcome here. And if it seems as if nothing else is working, then, then what, what did it produce in you? It produced in you a greater, a greater longing and, and a sense of greater urgency to come before the Lord in prayer because you know that He is the one who can help. He is the great physician who can do all that He pleases. And this is what is happening here. Mary and Martha have, have exhausted all their other resources. And they know what Jesus can do. They've been taught by Him. They're disciples of Jesus. They have great affection for Jesus as Jesus does them. And so they send word to Jesus. The one whom you love is sick. They don't say anything else. There's nothing else that we're told here. It's a very simple message. They don't say, come immediately, though most likely that's what they're hoping for. Because their, their fear is, he's going to die. Our brother is going to die if he doesn't get here. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And leaving, and they're really, they're leaving it in his hands as to how he is going to handle the situation. Again, they don't, they don't beckon him to come. And that shows a, 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 a aspect of faith on their part. Let's let him know what's going on. But the outcome is going to be according to his will. Now, if any of us here, we know how this, uh, what, we, we know what this produces in us. Fear grips our hearts. A sense of helplessness. Because you see someone that you love. A friend, a family member, whom you dearly care for, and there's nothing you can do. You are utterly helpless to do anything to, to help nurse them back to health because of the situation that it is. Many of us have been there. Perhaps you're there now. And this is what's going on here. It is evident that they have a great love for their brother. It's evident that they're worried and have great concern for him. So they send word to Jesus. Now John gives the description where they're at. They're in Bethany. Gives a description of Mary because we haven't been introduced to her yet. We don't uh, hear of this particular uh, thing that John speaks of here until chapter 12. But he's, he's giving the reader this understanding of, of whom he's talking about. This is the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It's her brother, Lazarus, that is sick. And that is so vital to understand that as well. And eventually we'll get there. 
But because of what happens here in this text, because of what happens in this chapter, it produced such a great adoration in Mary for Jesus. Because he was magnified, his, his glory was magnified in this situation, which produced this great act of worship on her part that is yet to come. And that's, and that's what, what occurs, that's what's supposed to occur as the Lord brings us through trials and He brings us through pains and He brings us through the sufferings and He grants relief and He grants aid to us. Maybe it's not that He grants exactly what we have prayed for, but He will bring us through. And the outcome of that is a greater faith, it's a greater trust and a greater adoration. If you can look back on some of the dark times of your life and you thought, where is the Lord in all of this? Why isn't He working? Once you get through those trials and sufferings, the pain is still there. Especially when you lose loved ones. The pain's still there. But you can look back and you can see how the grace of God had brought you through. And it produces in you a greater, a greater love. A greater devotion uh, for the Lord your God. That, that occurs... In, 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 in the trials, in the sufferings. And this is what it will produce in this, this small family. And this is an instance in which Jesus is going to go and he's going to minister directly to this family. A family whom he loves. He gets the message. The one whom you love is sick. The word love is that, that word for affectionate love. It's, it's from phileo. Jesus had great affection for him. And notice this. They don't appeal to him to say, Lord, we love you so much. Please come help us. Lord, haven't we shown you how much that we love you? Please come and help. No. They say, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. The Lord acts and he does and he, he performs actions and, and relief and aid, not because people are trying to coerce him into acting on their behalf by showing them how much that they love him, by, as if trying to bait him in. No. The Lord moves, he does, he acts, and he does so for those whom he loves. All true believers are loved. By the Lord your God. Loved by Christ Jesus. With not only that, that act of the will love. As if you, with, with being demonstrated through him going to the cross for you. But there is a great affection on the part of Christ. For all who are in Christ. The heart of Christ is toward you. We don't petition him. Or we don't try to bait him. By using words like, Lord, uh, you know that I love you and I'll love you even greater if you come. Or, Lord, I will do this for you if you do this. There is none of that. The Lord does on behalf of his people because he loves them. With that covenant, affectionate love, that loyal love, that faithful, committed love that we can't even fathom. And what was his, what was his response to this? He, he hears of the message. What's his response? 
Not what we would expect. Not at all what we would expect. This is contrary to anything that we would do. In our minds, if someone needs help and they're in need, our first reaction or response is, we need to get there. Why isn't the Lord doing that? Well, there's something greater that's going on here. Greater than our temporary relief. When Jesus hears of this, this is what our Lord says. He says, this sickness is not to end in death. Now, we may look back at that and say, how is that possible? He dies. So how does it not end in death? Because the greatest manifestation of the power of the Son of God, apart from His own resurrection and ascension, is getting ready to happen. This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. For the magnification of the being of God. For the magnification of His character, of His nature, of His power. Of his great attributes. It's getting ready to be put on display. Ready to be magnified in the eyes of all of his people. Not only for the glory of God. Not only for the glory of his father. But so the son of God may be glorified in it too. That he may be ascribed glory. Ascribed honor. Adoration. Worship. He is going to receive. Greater glory. From waiting than if he went immediately or if he spoke and healed him from afar. This is going to end in the great magnification of the glory of God. Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. John is, is sure to tell us that because our first instance is why is he not going? Does he really care for them? Does he not? Is he, is he angry with them? Is he punishing them? Had they been unfaithful in some way? No, John is sure to tell the readers, Jesus loved them. Let no other questions come to your mind. No other doubts about how uh, the Lord felt about them. What affection that he had for them. No doubts to come to your mind. Jesus loved them. And he loved them with a great affection. He loved them with that great agape love because he's going to the cross on their behalf too. But so their faith would be magnified. So that their faith would grow rather. John tells us when he heard it, he stayed two days longer. Now, it's very possible, depending on what theologian that you read, it's very possible that it was at least a day's journey or maybe even more from Bethany to the place where Jesus was for the messenger to get there. It could have very well been by the time the messenger got there that Lazarus had already died. It's possible because he waits two days longer. And let's say if it was another day's journey back, by the time he gets there, he's been dead four days altogether. He's been dead four days. Now, in that time period, again, we're looking at the, the situation that is, that is not just with Jesus and his disciples. He's going to magnify himself. He's going to magnify his father. He's going to demonstrate his power in, in, the, in the eyes of his, his disciples. 
He's going to, to manifest his holiness. But on the other side of things, you've got Mary and Martha that are there in the midst of this, this time of suffering, this time of great pain, and this time of heartache. This is what's going on at their home. Great grief. Sorrow. Weeping. All of this occurring. And you know this anytime that you've had a loved one to pass away. You know that the, the, the grief that you felt. And the fear before it even happened. There was a great fear. I know and many of you can identify with it. When my father was getting ready to die. Or when my brother was getting ready to die from cancer. You knew that, that, that this is looking like it's going to be the outcome. You pray to the Lord and you ask him to, to intervene and to, to give aid and to give help. But it's looking like this isn't going to be the outcome. Something else is going to happen. And so there's a great fear that comes over you. Of when it actually happens. And then when it does happen. Then you have that sorrow and that grief. The sense of helplessness, the sense of loss. You feel all that. You don't just feel it for one day or two days. It's a constant feeling for a long period of time. That's what they're feeling. And you ask yourself many questions during this time. Almost the same question that they ask the Lord when he does get there. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. We have all kinds of emotions and feelings that go on during the time of great loss. That's what, they're, that's what they're enduring. That's what they're feeling. That's their circumstance. Possibly at the time that Jesus first gets this message. Maybe it's already happened. Why didn't he go? Why wasn't he there? Because he was going to show... He was going to show to a greater extent than what he had previously of what power that he has. The power is the son of God. He has spoken a number of times throughout the gospel of John of, of having the power to, to bring back to life. And he's demonstrated that through the other gospels. Jairus' daughter. When she died, he went into the room and he, he had everybody else to move out. He touched the girl and he said, get up. The woman whose son had died. And Jesus is walking by as this funeral procession is going. And he calls him up. He's already done things like that. He's brought people back to life. He, is, he has promised uh, a resurrection for those who believe in him. He says that this is the will of my father. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. There is that promise that Jesus has been saying already. 
And now he's going to wait. He's going to allow Lazarus to be dead. Not just one day, not two days, four days. And many theologians, of course, if you've, you've read up on this, I'm sure that they believed, the Jews at this time believed that the spirit hovered above the body at least for three days in hopes of resuscitation. But Jesus waits for that there is no question that Lazarus is dead. And in that, what power is he showing? He's going to go to the tomb of Lazarus and he is going to speak a word. Just as he spoke creation into existence and it happened, he's going to go to the tomb of Lazarus and he's going to speak and call him out. And Lazarus is going to obey. Because when the Son of God calls, his calling achieves its desired effect. That is true in the realm of salvation. When we are dead and we are in darkness that he calls us into his marvelous light. That occurs on the last day. When Jesus says in John chapter 5 that a time is coming in which the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he's speaking of that final resurrection. For this family... He is going to intensify this truth to them. I've been saying this. Now let me show you the power of the Son of God. So that you can be assured even more. That you can have a greater confidence to know that I can raise the dead after being dead four days. I can give life back into them because he is the one who breathes in the breath of life in the beginning. And this is a lesson to you. That if I do this for him, I have the power to do it for everyone who is in Christ. That is a great encouragement to the people of God that we will see throughout this chapter. Jesus has the power. Jesus has all authority. He rules over the realm of mankind. He does whatever he pleases. This is the God who speaks creation into existence and it obeys. He speaks. It happens. He calls forth. They come. There are going to be times of great pain that we experience here. But some things to understand from this, especially just in this first portion here. A sickness or death, disease, whatever, is not automatically seen or to be seen as God's displeasure for you. That's where we go to. We say, well, if this is occurring in my life, God's you know, allowed my family member to, to have this or allowed me this. And it doesn't even have to be a sickness. It doesn't have to be uh, some kind of a illness or whatever. It can be anything. Whatever it is that God allows to go on in your life. This is not an automatic uh, meaning that, that he's displeased with you or he's punishing you. And I know it's hard 
Let me say this. Let me preface this first. I know it's hard when loved ones pass away. I know it's hard when you're wronged and you seek God to vindicate you. And oftentimes it may, it may occur that when you are vindicated, when evidence comes to your aid, your reputation and character has already been maligned. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult and it's hard. It really is. And I don't want to minimize that at all. But this isn't meaning that God has abandoned you or punished you. There are many that I know, and I'm sure you've heard it too. Especially if you have a few different ones within the same family that pass away. It's an automatic, he's punishing me. Well, this one died in my family, he's punishing me. Then another one died in my family, he's punishing me. That's not, that's not how it works. That's not how we're supposed to view things like that. It can very well be, as it is in this instance here, that God is growing your faith. You know, during the times of great distress and suffering and pain, even though at the, in the moments that you're there, you, you almost have a great temptation to, to move into bitterness, to move into anger, because he could have done differently than what he did. But this is the way that God had done it. And so there's that temptation. But oftentimes in those situations, sometimes the greatest manifestation of your faith can be brought about. Can be produced in you. If you guard your heart. And you keep reminding yourself of the goodness of God because you only serve a God who is good. No darkness in him. There's no deception in him. He's not like us. When we're wronged or we feel like someone has wronged us, our automatic response is, well, I'm going to do greater to you because of what you did to me. We sin against God every day. Every moment we sin against the Lord. It's, it's as R.C. Sproul says, cosmic treason, sin. And our Lord does not respond to us in the same way. Not as we do each other. Our Lord is only good. He's not immoral like we are. And anything that happens is not God just having a temper tantrum and, and allowing this to be brought on you because you did something wrong. As the Apostle Paul says, that the afflictions that we go through in this life are light in comparison with the glory that awaits. It's producing in us a greater weight of glory yet to be revealed. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Your situation is not at all God punishing you or abandoning you. Those that He gives over to a depraved mind, those are not believers. Those are the unbelieving. God does not do this for those that are in Christ. You're His. You've been bought with a price and He loves you. I cannot emphasize that enough. He loves you. How unworthy we are to receive that love. 
But that's the reality of it. He loves you. And at his appointed time, he will come to your aid and grant you relief. Again, it doesn't mean that the outcome is going to be what we desire. But the outcome will be for the glory of God. Because the outcome is going to be a greater faith in Him, a greater trust in Him, a greater confidence in Him, a greater love for Him, because He provided exactly what we needed when we needed it. What love that God has for us. I love, I love what Dr. MacArthur had said. When he was preaching on the passage where Jesus says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you what is good to those who ask him? In the other gospel, it says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Dr. MacArthur had, had commented and he said, basically what he's saying is, is that whatever you ask for, that God has given you in greater measure with giving you the Holy Spirit. You ask for help, he gives you the helper. You ask for comfort, he's giving you the comforter. You ask for truth, he's giving you the spirit of truth. You ask for strength, he's giving you the source of all power. You ask for the product, he's giving you the source. You ask for the gift, he's giving you the giver. You have everything that you need in the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you to get you through those times to grant you comfort, to grant you strength and encouragement to your hearts, to lift up your countenance to the Lord, so that the outcome of that is, I have a greater love, adoration, and trust in my God because He did well by me. He, he brought me through. He showed me that He was good. We teach or we learn here as well where to go. That should be very, uh, under, very well understood by us. But Mary and Martha, when they send this message to Jesus, what is it in, in, in effect what they're doing? You can almost look at this as they're praying. They're asking. It's a short, simple prayer but it's genuine from the very hearts of these people. And the implication is they're asking for help. They knew where to go. Everything else, they've exhausted everything else, but they knew where to go in order to bring them through this, to help. Understand, that especially when you read through the Psalms, that this is, this is emphasized all through the Psalms of how that, that our Lord is our shield. He is our fortress. He is the place that we run to. We do what we can. But our best defense is Christ. The greatest physician is the Lord. The ablest helper is God, the Holy Spirit. That's where we go. Never in our own strength do we, do we seek to try to get through something or try to overcome something. It always has to be by the strength of the Lord, by the grace of God to help us to get through it. Understand again, you belong to the family of God and He loves you. Understand that Christ 
knows what is best in our lives. That's a hard pill to swallow. Because our thinking is, is much different. I think this would have been better. And that's, we, we all often think that. I think this would have been better. This would have been much better for me. Would have been much better for my family. Much better for my, for my friends. But God does only what is good. There is no plan B. It's always plan A. God has purpose in everything that he does. It's not meaningless. It's not just God deciding to do something just to act. He's doing what brings him the most glory. He does what is best for his people. And that we have to remind ourselves. And you do. You do have to remind yourself of that. You do have to remind yourself of the promises of God. You do have to remind yourself of the character of God. You do have to remind yourself and reflect upon these truths. You do have to preach them back to yourself, especially in your greatest time of distress. When all seems lost, you have to preach these things back to you. Because in these times, God is doing something in you. He's producing something in you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you trust God that He knows what He's doing? This is the one who has all wisdom, all knowledge. The one who is bringing history to its intended end and that He is actively working everything in it to bring Him the most glory, to do good for His people and to sanctify them, to grow them so that when the time comes and He calls them home that they receive the full the, the full. Uh, the fullness of their salvation when they are glorified in Him and fully sanctified. Remembering all the times of the heartache because that's another thing about times of distress, times of suffering, is it produces in us a greater longing for heaven, a greater longing to be with Christ because it draws our affections away from the world, especially when you're going through something hard, draws your affections away from the Lord or from the world and, and helps to place them in the right the, on the right object which is the Lord. So there's a greater growing there. One writer says about what it should produce in us of what we see throughout this chapter. <clears throat> One is a greater trust that God manages all, all things with perfect wisdom. He knows what is best for our good. And the reality of the resurrection that we find in this chapter should be a source of great hope and comfort to you. That on the final day, when you stand before the Lord and you see Him in the fullness of His glory, and you see the one who saved you, the one who died for you. Just as we sing in the song, you'll know then that, that all the tears, all the pain was worth it for that moment. When God wipes away your tears and grants you this 
wonderful blessing of being with him in heaven, never to experience sorrow again. The reality of the, the resurrection should be one that, that produces in us a, a greater desire for godliness, for commitment to the Lord, knowing what is yet to come because our hope is fixed upon him. One writer says this, you should be especially careful that your life demonstrates the reality of that spiritual resurrection that Jesus has performed in you so that others might turn to him and believe in him because of what they see. That was James Montgomery Boyce. God allows us very difficult times in our life. They will come. No one's exempt from it. They will occur. But in the times that they occur, as difficult as they are, by all means, they are difficult. Fix your eyes upon the Lord your God and recognize that He is working in this. He is working something in you through your pain and through your sorrow. He's producing a greater a weight of glory yet to be revealed in you. He's producing a greater faith in you. And know, dear friends, that He has not abandoned you. He will never forsake you. He is always with you. And even when you think that He's not there, He is providing exactly what you need for those situations. Even in the midst of pain, remember, He loves you. He cares for you. And the greatest act of that was Him dying in your place. That you could be within the family of God and to know that love and to know that care. For God is good. Don't forget these things. Don't forget these truths. Dwell on them. Reflect on them. And continually seek out the Lord in prayer to help you, to give you aid. To grant you exactly what you need to get through this life. That's where you run to. We'll stop there and we'll pick it back up next week. If you would, please stand with me. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we know that you are good. Your word tells us the Lord is good. You're a stronghold in the day of trouble. And you know those who take refuge in you. Father, you know the pain that we endure in this life. You know the sorrow that grips our hearts. The sorrow that we've all experienced in our various situations so far in this life. Father, we thank you. We offer you thanks for all that you provided for us. Our hearts still long for our loved ones. They still long for, you know, perhaps even, even within us, a, a different outcome of the situation that had occurred. But Father, help us to recognize and to know that you have all wisdom, all knowledge. 
and that you do what is best even when we can't see it. Grant us the grace, Father, in our situations, in our circumstances. Grant us the grace to endure, to get through them. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit of God that you've granted to us, who was not only the one who, who brings us to faith, but he remains with us. He stays with us. He is continually uh, with us. His presence never leaves. And He grants us all that we need. Thank You so much for His continued presence with us. Oh, Father, help us to magnify You. Help us to glorify You in our lives and to look forward to the hope that we have in Christ where there will be no more pain and sorrow, but that we will glorify You uh, upon, upon understanding these things to a greater extent that they were for our good, they were for your glory. Help us to glorify you now, even, even in this life. Help us to glorify you in our circumstances. Recognize who you are. And have a greater trust and confidence in you. Produce whatever you desire in us, Father. We'll never cease to give you praise and thanks for all that you are and all that you do. Be with everyone here. Accomplish all you desire in us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.